You know, I doubt that there's one among us or one out there that we're connecting with that doesn't have something that needs healing in Jesus' name or someone very close to us who needs healing in Jesus' name. Our worship has been all about the blood, all about the covering, all about the healing touch of Jesus. So let's just reach to the Lord with our faith, with our hearts, and lift those people, lift those hurts, lift those needs, lift those empty points of life before him for his healing. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for the blood of Jesus. I thank you for all that you have given in Jesus' name. We praise you for your grace, for the wonder of your grace, the wonder of your mercy. How wide and how deep, how long and how far this grace, we will never grasp it. And yet you have covered us. You've reached to us. God, touch us at that point, each and every one of us. Some of us, we have a specific need for physical healing, emotional healing, heart healing. Some of us have a need, just someone in our lives that we ache for who has been lingering and languishing in illness. God, in Jesus' name, touch them and lift them up. We join together in faith with thanksgiving that in all things... You have made us more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. God, we rejoice in that. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have given. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. What a blessing it is to worship together, to join our hearts and our voices and in our minds before the Lord. We are in a series that we're calling Kingdom Culture, and we're studying through the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the Gospel of Matthew. And so you can change that on the back wall and make it into pictures so I can know what I'm doing back there. But we have started out with these eight statements that are called Beatitudes, and beatitude simply means a blessing. And, and in these eight statements, we find the foundation of what I've called the sermon. This is the sermon of sermons. It's not all that long, but it is uh, an incredible uh, amount of spiritual depth and teaching that we find in these chapters. And in these eight statements, we find profound truth. Uh, each one of these eight statements um, brings a specific point at which the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer. And they're kind of unusual because we sometimes want to say, are these things I'm supposed to do? Well, yes, <laughs> but they're mainly things that God wants to do in you. That's what blessing is. He wants to meet us in these places. And in each blessing, we see a picture of what a true disciple of Jesus Christ looks like. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I'll just put in a, a little bit here. Some of you know this, that there's a church called the Church of the Beatitudes. Uh, it's an octagonal, eight-sided structure. It's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Some of you have been there. 
if, if we ever go to Israel, and we're going at the end of this year, we go to this place because it's an amazing commemoration of the place. It honors where Jesus said these blessings that begin uh, the sermon. Last week, uh, we learned a, a little bit more about blessing and what it means. We learned that blessed means to be approved, and, uh, and by God's approval, it means to flourish. Flourish is this great descriptive word for what the blessing means, because it's only by the approval of our Father, the creator of the universe, that we will flourish. And so that's, that's what this is about, uh, God speaking a word of flourishing, a word of blessing. How many of you want to flourish? I mean, so we don't want to just hang out, but we want to flourish. Uh, we want those things that God has planned. And we only flourish uh, when we are within his approved plan. This is where we enter the experience and the domain of the king, what we've called kingdom. So what I want to do is a little bit different. Uh, I want to invite you to stand and we always stand in to honor the reading of God's word. But I want to ask you, we'll do it a little different because we're on the same text. I want us to read it out loud. And uh, so will you join me in the house? And I thought, how great if you're at home to stand up wherever you are, if you're on the sofa or whatever, and read aloud with us the word of God. So we're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Let's join together. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, because word breathes life and faith into us. And by your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open your word, make your word alive to us and in us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. There's a saying that's pretty common uh, around and about. You'll hear it fairly regularly. And it's that, well, this is not rocket science. We say it almost on a weekly sort of basis. It means this is something simple. It's not something real complicated. You don't need to worry your brain a whole lot about this. This is not rocket science. But the more that I've been studying and digging in on uh, these uh, eight statements, I am convinced that the Beatitudes are rocket science. And I want to uh, just talk about that a little bit. <laughs> uh, 
as I was studying and kind of meditating on this uh, in, the, in the mountains last weekend, it occurred to me that uh, there's a real similarity uh, that rocket science is based on a precise order of forces which come together to achieve a mission. The rocket doesn't take off unless certain things happen. We live on the Space Coast. We know, some of you know a whole lot about this because you really are rocket scientists uh, by day. Uh, I am not. I just play one in church, okay? <laughs> but but uh, as I studied this, it, it seemed to really make sense to me. Um, and so we've been looking at that, uh, this precise order of things. Uh, in the, and I want to apply this to the Beatitudes, uh, and we've looked at two components so far, and, and then today we're going to add a third. So just kind of backtrack with me a little bit. There's some things that have to happen for the rocket to take off. And I'll tell you, my whole life, since I was a little kid, I've been watching this. I grew up in Central Florida. I grew up watching, and as soon as we could watch on TV, and I saw the Apollo launches and the moon launch and all these kinds of things. And so these are familiar to me and probably to you. Uh, and it first of all starts with a component of ignition. We're familiar with these words, three, two, one, we have ignition. And it's really important because I, I don't know if you're like me, but I kind of hold my breath at that last moment because I really, I don't know what's going to happen because we know there are all kinds of things that can happen. But we have ignition is really, really good news because without ignition, we're just sitting on the launch pad. There, nothing is happening. What I want to suggest to you is that what we looked at two weeks ago, blessed are the poor in spirit, is the ignition point, the entry point for the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit is where the spark happens and everything comes to life and, and the fire starts because it's only with that realization, we described it as the realization of our absolute bankruptcy before God. God, I have nothing to offer to you. There's no works that I can do to deserve anything. There's nothing that I could say or offer that would uh, make me worthy of some blessing or some mercy. And that's poor in spirit. It's a starting point for everyone. There's no other place that we would go to start the journey except there. Poor in spirit is that point. The second, I'm just going to call fuel. We talked about that last week. The controlled and focused burn of fuel begins to to break, it works to break the force of gravity so that we have what's, what's called liftoff. There's, without fuel, uh, the launch just won't proceed. You can have a good ignition, but if you don't have fuel, uh, you're not going anywhere. And last weekend, I was really blessed uh, to have Mike uh, teaching with us, and, and we, we were listening while we were out in Colorado. But morning is the place where the Holy Spirit, our comforter, comes alongside us. Uh, it's parakaleo or paraclete is one of the names for Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit comes alongside us at the point of mourning. And that's where we are fueled by Holy Spirit. It's where we begin flourishing, where, where he rushes in with healing at the point of mourning. Now, why that is the fuel point, I don't know. We can ask someday, but it is the place where God rushes in to the place where we are hurting, to the place where we need healing and gives us fuel. And then we begin to break away. And it's the gravity of the world that is holding us back. The third thing that I want to talk about on this weekend is thrust. 
If you look at anything about rocket science, it'll talk about this, that thrust is this force that moves an aircraft or a rocket into motion. And it's, it is absolutely required. It's a measured force uh, that creates lift, uh, depending on if it's a wing or whether it's a rocket. And when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, he's talking about force. And it's a force that the world does not understand. Meekness is the manner uh, by which we conduct our lives as believers and thereby we begin to flourish. So that's what we're talking about this weekend. And that's what we were reading about there in that third beatitude. So biblically, what is thrust? What is it that pushes us? And, And really, it's a very good example because... The word mission is from the same source as the word missile. It means to be sent, to be launched. And so if we are believers, we are launched on mission. What is our thrust? It is this meek thing. They shall inherit the earth. So the question of the weekend, the question of the day is simply this. uh, Got meek? (laughs) And you might remember that ag campaign from uh, the 90s is when it started. I looked it up to see when it started, and it stopped about eight years ago. Uh, The Got Milk campaign, but I want to call it Got Meek, uh, because it's the question that, that Jesus was asking. Have you got this thing called meekness? Jesus, when he said, blessed are the meek, was actually quoting from Psalm 37, 11. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Now, in the day that Jesus was speaking, this was an utter contradiction to everything. They lived under power. It was the Romans lived by power and strength. And this idea that the meek would inherit the land or inherit the earth uh, didn't make any sense, just as it doesn't make any sense today. You go out and you start talking about meekness as the way to take the world And you're going to get people looking at you really, really funny. It's the opposite of what the world commends. You go to any success seminar, they're not going to talk about meekness. They're not going to talk about the things that Jesus was talking about here. The dominant culture of our day declares that those who seize more of the earth, they're going to have more and more of the earth. They're going to have more and more of the stuff. And and the goal seems to be the one that dies with the most toys wins. And that is not biblical, it's not Jesus, it's not what we're, it's not actually how we're going to come to inherit the earth. As I've been studying these eight, it's occurred to me that, um, and I realize that's a little bit jumbled up there, I'm not sure why, uh, but it ended up jumbled. Uh, But meekness is the, you can see everything in the notes that we handed you as you came in today. Meekness is the most difficult point of blessing so far. It may be the most difficult. I was talking to Mike Thompson, and he said, I think this is the hardest one of all the eight. We'll see. There's some really hard things that are here. Uh, But it's also, I think, the most powerful one. So that would be the next slide. The most difficult point of blessing so far and the most powerful. Um, The Greek word is praus. So say that with me, our Greek lesson of the day, praus. And it's translated, let's say it really strongly, praus, there we go. It's translated gentle, humble, or meek. And and it's kind of difficult because we have to get at it from some different 
descriptions in Scripture. Uh, I was looking around at different things, and Wikipedia doesn't even know how to to, uh, define this. Wikipedia says it's an amalgam of uh, patience and and, uh, strength and also, uh, you know, several different things. But meekness, and I'm going to try to begin describing it for us. We're going to wrestle with it a bit. Meekness is a quality um, that's completely opposed to the things that our natural man, our sinful nature, uh, thinks and practices. Our sinful nature, our, our natural man wants everything that's the opposite of this, wants to go against this meekness. And so one of the things that we're going uh, we're gonna to get a hold of here is that this is the way we break it uh, in the rocket image, the gravitational force that would, of the world that would hold us back so that we might inherit the earth. There's a foundational truth here, and that would be, if we don't get anything else, to be meek is to be like Christ. Uh, and we don't want to miss that. Jesus said this in, uh, in Matthew 11, we have it this way. Take my yoke upon you and learn. From, why don't we read this out loud together? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest in your souls. So Jesus said, what I want you to take on you is a yoke, and that yoke is gentle, and I am gentle. It's that word, uh, praus. It's the, uh, it is a meekness. Gentle and lowly in heart means not self-focused, not demanding its own way, but focused on the concerns of others. That's what this is talking about. We also see it in uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, the entry of Jesus as the king of kings. He's coming. Uh, We call it the triumphal entry. Uh, And this is the verse that says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble. It's that same word, praus. I think I'm on the next, I think I'm on the next slide. Praus, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And so that's the image that we're given of Jesus as being humble, as being praus. So the manner of Jesus is profound. It's this manner that actually broke the grip of the Roman power that was upon the Jewish people, upon, really upon the world, and changed the world. History has changed. Jesus could have come in in power, but he chose to come in meekness, and he baffled the Romans. You remember that during the trials of Jesus, that uh, King Herod, he just he didn't get it. What? What are you? What are you doing? I don't understand it. Pontius Pilate, the same way. The power structures don't seem to understand or get it, what's going on. So that's the manner of Jesus. Now, if we reject this, this is really important. If we reject this and say, well, meek isn't for me. I just wasn't raised that way. I I come from a family that uh, nobody is meek. We're just brash and out there, uh, this sort of thing. Or I come from a, a heritage that we're just loud and, and I don't, I don't want to be meek. I reject being meek. There, there's a good question. I don't know that we can possibly be Christian. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Does that mean that this saves you? It doesn't mean it saves you. But if you want to be a follower of Christ... You're going to dig into this and discover what this is all about. So 
we have to wrestle with this, maybe more than any of the other things. We have to wrestle with it uh, and, and try to understand it, uh, and it, and it's not easy. Meek, meek has nothing to do with temperament. It's, it's not on the Myers-Briggs scale somewhere. It, it doesn't have to do with your personality. One person has a meek personality and another person doesn't have anything to do with that. It has everything to do with Jesus and, and walking in the way of Jesus. It has everything to do with following and emulating Jesus. So what does that look like? I, I want to try to describe it a little bit. Um, some, a number of, have said that meekness is the absence of pretense or pretension. Meekness never tries to impress or pretend to be something that it is not. It just doesn't. Meekness doesn't do that. Meekness is the opposite of self-centered and self-focused. Sometimes we see someone and we say, well, that person is full of themselves. Meekness is the opposite of that. Not, it, it's empty of oneself. And this is what we see in Jesus. And that's what we emulate in Jesus and following Jesus. Meekness never tries to get its own way at the expense of others. And so you can see that this is really different from a lot of what we see in the world. Meekness operates in humility, not pride. So that's an, we've talked about that before, about the whole pride and, and humility thing. So if you're pretty sure that you've achieved meekness, you've likely lost it. <laughs> it, it, it has slipped away from you. Um, but the way of meekness, it really flies um, in the face of pretentious religion. And that's something that was very much the case in the time of Jesus. And we see it, we see it quite often. Pretentious religion, trying to put on a show. And there's a lot of different ways that that manifests itself. It can be in highly formal religion or it can be in informal religion. But any time that there's a pretense, a pretending uh, in, in our religion, then we're missing what Jesus was all about. It occurred to me as I studied this that it may be the most unreligious of qualities, meekness. And above all, the walk of meekness is free from malice or, and free from a vengeful spirit. That's not going to be part of it. So how does meekness differ from poor in spirit? We studied that was the first uh, beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, that place where you realize, I don't have anything to offer. Well, let me, there's a very clear uh, reason why it's different. Jesus was not poor in spirit, but he's the highest example of meekness. That's the biggest difference. Look at Jesus. He was not at all poor in spirit. He, he never came to a place of, of having to confess before God the Father that he has nothing because he, he, he is God. But he is the highest example of meekness. And because of who he is, it's so very powerful. So poor in spirit has to do with our self-discovery and our self-assessment before God. Um, and meekness, also, uh, meekness uh, on the alternative has to do with the way we interact with God and with people. Meekness establishes the thrust that we need to live the kingdom culture. And it really defines our trajectory. We're going to talk next week about trajectory because that's also rocket science. Where are you going? What, what are you pointed at? And we're going to start looking at that as we, as we go on ahead. Meekness flows from the fuel of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We don't have it unless we have the Holy Spirit. 
every once in a while I talk to someone and they say, well, I like Jesus and I want Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is confusing to me. I don't want the Holy Spirit. Well, you, it doesn't work that way. We, we, we only are born again by the Holy Spirit. We only know the scripture. We only come to faith by the Holy Spirit. So the fuel of the Holy Spirit is here as well. Meekness is named specifically as a part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's part of what happens if the Spirit is in you. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. Why don't we read? I don't think you can read it because it's a little jumbled up there, but I'll read it to you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. That's the word self-control. Against such thing there is no law. So meekness also in that same passage of Scripture is the opposite. It's in opposition to the works of the flesh that Paul described in Galatians 5 beginning verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, those are all self-centered, self-focused things. They don't represent or manifest meekness. Idolatry and sorcery, those are manipulative things. Those do not represent meekness. Enmity, strife, jealousy, these are relational things. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, all of these are manifestations of our sinful nature. You know, sometimes I think when I, when I have an emotion or I'm, I'm getting ready to shout out the window of the car and I want to ask myself, is that Jesus prompting me? <laughs> I don't even have to finish the sentence. And so I, I, need, to, I need to look at that. Um, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, these sorts of things, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the things that actually characterize the kingdom of darkness. They don't characterize uh, the kingdom of God. So let me go a little bit more into what meekness is. Meekness is not weakness. You know, I, I was looking at so many who have struggled to take a grasp of this. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., he said that meekness is not being easily provoked. I, that's part of it. I really think it is. Um, John Piper, he said that uh, meekness is being teachable. Are you teachable? But it's not weakness. It's not wishy-washy. Um, the meek is not an indecisive person or a timid person. Meekness is not about being unsure of oneself. Oh, that person's a meek person because they're, they're just sort of unsure and they're an introvert. No, that's not what it's talking about. Meekness is not affability that gets along. I'll figure out a way to get along no matter what. Because Jesus was none of these things. Jesus is our highest example, and he's none of these things. You know, one of, I, as I was studying this, one of the things that I, I really enjoy about the series The Chosen is uh, the way that the, that the Jesus character interacts. Because uh, there's so much power and confidence, in it, and yet there's just a gentleness. There's a, there is a meekness that is portrayed. I don't know how intentional that was in the writing. You see, Jesus was meek, and yet no one on earth was more powerful. No one on earth was more powerful. Uh, That's the next slide, I think. Um, The Word made flesh, think about this. The Word made flesh that spoke creation into existence is walking around uh, Galilee and Judea. 
And he literally had the power to heal anyone that came along that he chose to heal. He had the ability to create food at will. He fed 5,000, 12,000, depending on how you count it. You know, we might even ask, well, Jesus, why didn't you just feed everybody? And I don't know why exactly. It might be that that's not the best thing, that people need to actually work the land and work in life, you know. Uh, But he had the ability to do all these things. He had the power to move through crowds or be in another place immediately. And, uh, and so that's pretty powerful. He had the ability to knock down a unit of soldiers with a word. I don't know if you remember that story. It's one of my favorites in John 18 where they came and they said, uh, where is the one that is uh, Jesus of Nazareth? Are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, I am. And then a whole, a whole detachment of soldiers fell down on their backsides. It's really pretty cool. I don't know why, but I, I find myself thinking, if I was playing football in the first century, I would want Jesus on my team. <laughs> Amen. I'll take Jesus. You can have all the rest. Because I'd say, are you ready, Jesus? And he'd say, I am. And then they'd all fall down. I just, I think about these things. Forgive me, please. But he had the power to call on thousands of angels uh, and wipe out an army if he wanted to. Yet he chose not to. He chose to walk into the religious and political hotbed of Jerusalem, knowing he was going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, falsely tried and then crucified. He chose all of that because that was the way he was going to save you. Someone say, praise God. And and that's the way he was going to save uh, the world. Meekness is sometimes described as power under control, and I think that's a a good description. Um, In rocket science, thrust is power under control. It's not not an explosion. It's a focused power, a focused burn. And meekness is the personal power uh, that does not have to be wielded to be powerful. That was Jesus. You know, for him to look at people and to deal with people and to know, to know that he, I could fry you right now with a word, and he chose not to because that's, that wasn't his goal. That wasn't his intention. Meekness has nothing to prove. If we can come to the place where no matter what sort of authority or power we might have or talent we might have, that we have nothing to prove, we are much, much closer to Jesus and the way of Jesus I came across this, um, this statement that I thought was really good. It's, it's not in your notes, but I'll probably post it later uh, about meekness. Meekness is strong, not weak. Why don't we read it out loud together? It's not scripture, but I think it's very powerful and scriptural. Meekness is strong, not weak, active, not passive, courageous, not timid, restrained, not excessive, modest, not self-aggrandizing, and gracious, not brash. That's a good description. John Piper uh, describes it this way. He says that meekness is the power to absorb adversity and criticism without lashing back. We've really become mature in Christ if we come to that place in our lives and in our walk. Meekness does not surrender to an enemy but is surrendered to Almighty God. And that's where the power comes from. 
I think Jesus expressed it most powerfully in the words, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. It's so very powerful to say, I know that God has got all of this under control. And in the meekness of Jesus, there was immense strength that was under control. So back to the question, got meek? Do we, do we got meek? Uh, and how do we get there? It starts with ignition, um, and then it finds fuel from the Holy Spirit, but it's also a choice. The Apostle Paul talked about it as a choice. In Colossians 3, he talked about we must put on meekness. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, same word, praus, and patience. By faith, we can put on, we can receive and put on those things, compassion, kindness, humility, and meekness. A New Testament scholar that I love so much, I've shared with, from him before, D.A. Carson says that meekness is a controlled desire to see the other's interests advance ahead of one's own. Now, that doesn't mean an enemy of state. That doesn't mean an enemy of family or something like that. But the ability to say, you know what? Your interests, I'm going to see as more important than my own. It's not all just about what's for me. But I want to make sure you succeed. I want to make sure you flourish. I want to make sure you are blessed. That's very powerful. Meekness walks out the attitude of Jesus. Uh, Paul described it in Philippians chapter 2. He said, do nothing from selfish ambition or, or vain conceit is, the, is one of the translations. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Does that mean they are more significant? No, but we consider them, we count them. We account for them that way. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is Jesus. This is the walk of meekness. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. Meekness leaves everything, ourselves, our rights, our cause, our whole future in the hands of God. And especially so when we feel we are suffering unjustly. It's the ability, and and I pray that you've been there at some point to say, you know what? This isn't fair, but God has got it all under control. I'm going to trust God and that God brings good out of every situation and that God will bring good out of this situation, whatever is happening here. The second thing that we don't want to miss is that meekness chooses not to retreat, but to entreat. That's a powerful word, but not one we use all the time. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. When I write my letters, it sounds pretty bold, but I'm meek when I'm with you in person. And it's the same word, entreat is the word parakaleo. Say that with me again. Parakaleo. It's the word that we studied last week. It's the word paraclete is one of the names of Holy Spirit, one of his names. 
It means to call near, come alongside, comfort, exhort, pray. So it's that part of us that says, I entreat you. I'm going to come alongside you. Rather than retreat, rather than reject, rather than attack or be vengeful. Meekness exercises this quality of the Holy Spirit and, and, and comes alongside. It's the opposite of, of those other choices, mocking and chastising and criticizing. Meekness listens, and this is a powerful piece of scripture if you've never dug into it. James chapter 1, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I like to read that slowly because all three of those are so important. Quick to hear. When there's a situation I don't understand and I'm starting to get upset about, I'm going to listen first, and then I'm going to be slow to respond with words. How many of you know Jesus gives you that? (laughs) And slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There's a lot to be angry about these days. Someone say amen. (laughs) We we tend to get angry. We kind of live in an angry world. But we need to be careful about that. Meek is slow to anger. Did you know that Jesus got angry? Yeah, he did. Now, not very often, so don't, don't go quick to grab it. But um, the one time that is specific, Jesus got angry at the Pharisees uh, when they uh, set him up on a Sabbath. Uh, it's in Mark chapter 3. Uh, he comes in to the synagogue in Capernaum, and there's a man there that has obviously been brought in. Nobody ever cared about him before, but he had a withered hand. And the Pharisees are, are going, watch this. <laughs> we got him now. Watch what he does now. He's going to heal on the Sabbath. It was a setup. And right there in verse 5, it says, he looked around at them with anger. So he had anger. Jesus had anger. Why? He was grieved at their hardness of heart. What did he do? What was he going to do? He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored. He brought healing into that place. Uh, Jesus healed the man with the withered hand. That was his response. But he was angry in that moment. He could have done a lot of different things. People often turn to the time when Jesus turned over the tables in the temple. It's called the cleansing of the temple. Uh, It's in three of uh, the Gospels recorded there. Uh, I think it's on the next slide. There we go. And and, and people look at that and they say, well, Jesus got angry. It doesn't say that, actually. I mean, I was really studying it because I thought, I thought we always think that Jesus got angry there. Well, it says that he made a whip of ropes and he drove out the animals. doesn't mean that he was angry. That's how you drive animals. Drove them out. It's very possible that Jesus came in and he said, excuse me, I'm going to turn over your table. Could you, you may want to step aside. Oh, it's my dad's house and I'm cleaning up. That's what I'm doing. It, you know, it says that he... He offers to us a yoke that is one of gentleness, that is the same word, meekness. I think he was probably really polite. I mean, it's portrayed different from that every time we see it. But Jesus, in his approach, you know, he may very well have just said, I need to tip this over. You should stand back and been very polite in the way that it happened. The Bible says there's a scriptural way to be angry. Ephesians chapter 4 says, be angry and do not sin. 
I mean, there's a lot in that. Be angry and do not sin. Be very, very careful. You may be angry. Anger is just a response. It's just a, sometimes it's because we are in the midst of grief. Anger is a part of grief. We just get mad at the bad thing that has happened. Sometimes anger is because of a threat that we have perceived or that has happened. He says, be angry and do not sin. How do we do that? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let it, don't stew on it. Yesterday's anger is the dangerous one. The anger that you've had for a week is a dangerous one. The anger that you've had for a month is a dangerous one because that gives an opportunity to the devil. The enemy comes right in those doors. The meek person is angry at the right time for the right reason, for the right things, at the right things, and expresses anger in the right way within the right amount of time. Now, that's a lot. It's a lot to think about. The third thing that I want us not to miss in Scripture is that meekness is the manner that wins people to Christ. First uh, Peter 3.15 is very familiar. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Be ready to give a reason, give the defense. This is why I have hope. Yet, do it with gentleness, same word, meekness, paus, and respect. It occurred to me as I was studying this, that without meekness, you may win an argument. You may win a spiritual argument, but you lose the war. It's, it's the winsomeness and the meekness and the gentleness of the heart that brings people into contact with Jesus. And that's the only way that they will be won. You see, meekness will be opposed by the gravity. I'm back to my rocket. (laughs) By the gravity of the culture around us. We're going to talk about drag a little bit later because that's a part of the the, uh, rocket science as well. But the gravitational pull of our culture is great. It's huge around us. And, And we see it also coming into the church. People are drawn to religious expressions uh, that are loud and flashy and demanding and boastful and fierce and all those kinds of things. We need to be real careful about that. The meek person sees themselves and everyone else as under God. I'm under God and you're under God. So God has got this under control. Wow, how freeing is that? And since we are poor in spirit, we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And the meek person doesn't dominate or demand or berate others. So here's the question again. I keep asking it. Got meek? Because it's really important. It's not just an option. If we don't have meekness, we don't have the yoke of Christ, we don't have the way of Christ... It occurred to me as I studied this that meekness is a journey with about that many turns in it. It's not easy. We start with that ignition point and then we engage the Holy Spirit. We get fuel. It's so important though that we choose the way and the manner of Christ. We choose. We make a choice. I think that's the next slide. There we go. We choose to be gentle uh, when we could be combative. Uh, We choose to listen first so that we hear and don't jump to conclusions. We choose to speak slowly, carefully, prayerfully, and and speak the truth in love. We choose to be slow to anger uh, and and only be angry at the things that 
the Lord would be angry about. Sometimes people say, well, I have righteous indignation. Be careful. That's a really haughty kind of place to be, that I have the same indignation as God. I pray about that a lot. Now, here's the truth about meekness. We're going to mess up a lot on the meekness journey. I have a don't cry over spilled milk. Well, don't cry over spilled meek because it's going to happen. Um, Don't cry over those times we mess up. The Apostle Paul, I think, messed up. Well, it's one of my favorite stories in, in the book of Acts, chapter 15. He had such a sharp disagreement with Barnabas that they split their partnership. I don't think he was meek at the time. He was so mad. Uh, he didn't want to bring along John Mark, who was the cousin of Barnabas, because he, had, he was a quitter. He had quit in Pamphylia. He said, I don't want him along. And they, they, it was so sharp that they broke ways. Now, God used that. He expanded the ministry. And God will use our mess-ups. Someone say, praise God. Doesn't mean we should mess up. But he's going to use our mess-ups. But we're, we're going to mess up in this area. It's almost just guaranteed. It's a growing journey. But meekness, we need to grow in. It's the foundation of Christian peacemaking. And that's what in, in Acts chapter 15 is being talked about. Uh, there's an author that um, I, I became aware of. Eric Reed is a pastor of the, of the Journey Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. And he, he made this statement. He said, in all my years of pastoring, I have learned this lesson. A person's spiritual maturity is not truly visible until they don't get their way. And then we see the person. And that's not to condemn anyone. But that's where we see the maturity. And a big part of the maturity is this blessedness of the meekness of Christ. So are you ready to engage the kingdom culture by the journey of meekness? Are you a person that's always had to get your way? We need to pray about that. Do you always have to be right? Is your manner to demand and berate and even bully people sometimes? We need to be more like Jesus. Now, it occurred to me uh, this question. What if I decide that I'm just not going to be meek? I just don't like it. I don't like that. That sounds weak to me. I'm not going to do that. Does that mean I'm not saved? You're not saved by your meekness. But meekness is one of the fruit of the Spirit that is evidence you are saved, that you are born again. And so it is something that we need accountability and we need to seek and we need to dig into and we need to discover. And if you refuse the way of Christ, we'll never flourish. We're not going to know the blessing. We may grab and demand, but we're not going to know the blessing. So my hope for us this weekend as we study together is that we will get ignited, get fueled, and choose meek because that is so much of what he wants for us, the way of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the sermon, and I thank you for these eight points of reference, of blessing. And I thank you that they are orderly. And so, God, I pray that in my own life, I will revisit what it means to be ignited, to come to life in Christ. 
that I will find the fuel of Holy Spirit on a daily basis. And Lord, that I will find the thrust, the power, the power of meekness in my world. And that each of us can find those things in Jesus' name. Amen.